Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to The Danger Room, the X-Men Comics Commentary Podcast. My name's Adam. And my name is Jeremy. We're here for part three of our all-encompassing every issue between 1970 and 1975 retrospective. Hey, (laughs) that's all I had to offer to that. (laughs) This is where we get into the really good stuff. I just, I can feel it, Adam. I can feel it. I think we're going to wrap up some storylines that we started like two weeks ago. So without further ado, let's just jump right into this. And we're going to start with Shanna, the she-devil. Issue number five. What? Yeah, from... Um, August 1973. Uh, issue is titled, Where Necro Walks, Death Must Follow. I'm curious, because in the 70s, you said 1973? Yep. I mean, this this is as close to Playboy as you could possibly get as a young teenager buying comic books. I mean, Shanna is not wearing much. No. No, she's not. Nor is Necra, for that matter. Uh, well, uh, Necra's black and wearing very little, uh, and then Shanna's white and wearing very little. So no matter what your tastes are, there's there's something for everybody. And uh, if you like uh, panthers and cheetahs? <laughs> they're, they're represented as well. But, I mean, there is a lot. How does she keep this big bikini on, bikini top on? That's what I want to know. Yeah, like there's no back strap to it. As near as I can tell on the cover, like there's a strap that comes from like the bottom side boob down to the panty side. But as you get into the comic book, you look at some of the renderings and it's just really like just boob covers. And then it's not even connected to the, uh, to the pant part. She must be constantly clenching her muscles in order <laughs> to keep that together. So I, I mentioned all of that. And like, you know, as a kid, like being able to, I mean, check out uh, page 10, the second panel. I mean, you can see the booby covers, and you can see the bottom part, but you you cannot. There's no strap that connects any of that together. There's no nothing to hold up the boob parts. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody got lazy. <laughs> so this, as far as I I know, I looked into it a little bit. Is the last issue of the Shanna series? Really? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> it, it was. It went up to five issues, and then. Uh, but this was... one's le- this one doesn't end. I, I it looked... ends on a cliffhanger. Does it? I looked it up, and I did not see a Shanna six. Maybe the. Uh, I was looking in um, um, Comic Zeal's database. I didn't actually go to a wiki or anything, and I just happened to notice that it went from issue one to issue five. Hmm. So maybe Shanna had a different or a longer run under a, a different title or a volume two, but maybe it got switched over to a different title or something. Could be. Well, anyways, without boring you with too much of the details of the story, what do you say we just? Oh, we don't have to give you any of the details <laughs> of the story. All you need to know is that at some point Shanna walks into a room where there's all these like machines and and she she's hooked up she she's got this buddy who's got uh the one of these uh giant visi screens hooked up to a computer and on that visi screen are professor charles xavier 
an expert on mutations, and agent of the FBI, Mr. Amos Duncan. Where, not Fred Duncan? Amos Duncan? I thought Amos Duncan got killed and Fred Duncan replaced him, but right, I guess not. The juggernaut rammed Amos Duncan's head into the ceiling. We all saw this. Hmm. Very right. mysterious. Okay. Maybe maybe somebody's mistaking him for Amos Duncan and, and they, they forget to correct. And, and Fred decides not to correct him. Oh, yeah. He's just being polite, like out of uh, respect to his brother. Yeah. Well, anyways, uh, they yeah. So like the guy that's got all this computer equipment, he reminds me of Sala from Indiana Jones, but just because yeah. he has a beard, a mustache, and he's wearing a turban, he's not fat or anything, but still, yeah. So I guess the whole point here is that they they're looking for this guy named the Mandrill, and the Mandrill is a mutant. Yes, and then there's another mutant that they that I believe is Necra, although they never reveal it. And um, this one also has a power rating, and it's big. <laughs> that's right. And that's about it. Keep us informed, says the professor, and then they go away. This transmission concludes. Yeah, the rest of it, the issue is a big fight between Necra and Shanna. And uh, no, it doesn't end on a cliffhanger. I was wrong. Um, it ends kind of open-ended. They, they, they don't really resolve anything, but... Shanna beats Necra. Yeah. And then they look at they look at they the the guys, I guess Patrick and her two Panther and Sheeta all look down at the unconscious body of Necra and they all think to themselves, What do we do when she wakes up? And that's how it ends. That's how it ends. Scanning the letters section, there's nothing in here. Oh. Unfortunately, Al, we have to report that it's going to be even fewer than six since this issue marks the last of Shanna's own magazine. Oh, no. <laughs> Confirmation, everybody. I actually, the, the, the interesting thing about this was that uh, the guy who's hanging out with Shanna, Patrick, mm -hmm. he's a very manly man, but he always has to be saved. So it's like the reverse of the damsel in distress. Oh. It was, it was kind of ahead of its time. Yeah, yeah. Which is probably why it failed. Yeah. It was also written by Steve Gerber, who is the creator of uh, Howard the Duck. Well, I guess Howard the Duck had a long run, didn't it? Yeah, Howard the Duck's huge. But didn't he morph with some DC character to create a new character altogether, and then Howard the Duck was no longer part of the Marvel Universe? I don't know. No. Okay. There was a Marvel Knights Howard the Duck in the 2000s. Really? I bought all the issues of in which Howard turns into a rat. Oh, he doesn't turn into, like, Dark Howard or anything like that? No. Oh, okay. He becomes Howard the Rat, or maybe it's a mouse. I don't know. But I think by the end of it, he turns back into a duck. Hmm. Was it worth what you spent on it? No. All right, moving on. We've got The Incredible Hulk number 172. Ooh, Hulk's back. Hulk is in back. In a tale called, And Canst Thou Slay the Juggernaut? And apparently guest starring Thor, if you would gather by the title. This is the February 1974 issue. That is correct, and it's written by Tony Isabella with art by Herb Trimpey, and uh, that's all I really need to say. Jack Abel, he inked. Yeah, I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> Without burying the lead, the Juggernaut is back somehow. Juggernaut's back. I, I do want to point out a little coloring issue on the cover. Uh, the Juggernaut's legs are skin-colored, but given the lines that are on his leg, it really looks like they should have been colored orange like his suit because it looks like there's a reflective uh, pattern drawn on his legs. Hmm. 
Yeah, it looks. I think you're right. Yeah, it looks really silly though to, for him to have like little short shorts <laughs> and then his big boots. The Hulk is captured in a uh, in a tank, which I guess I thought was the same uh, thing that Professor X was helping Mister Fantastic with two weeks ago. It is very similar. Yeah, I don't know if it's exactly the same device, but anyways, he's he's in a device. Apparently, the Hulk got captured, but not by General Thunderbolt Ross, who is kind of ticked off about the whole thing. Uh, by somebody named Armbruster. So General Ross does come in and he's like, what What are you doing? Do you realize what you've done? You captured the Hulk. You can't capture the Hulk. <laughs> I don't know. Well, the reason why he's like that is because for the first time, the Hulk was willing to forget his hatred of mankind, presumably in the last issue. Now he'll be more uncontrollable than ever. I think this is just a case of uh, General Ross being like, oh, I wanted to capture him. <laughs> well, that's what Mr. <laughs> Armbruster thinks, too. Yeah. I don't know. We'd have to tune into episode, or issue 171, really, to know. And, and this I, is, didn't, I didn't go there. Yeah, and this isn't the Hulk cast. So he's in this cage thing, and all this is is a delivery mechanism to put him in a uh, bigger cage that is Hulk-proof, I guess. A very special room that was designed to hold 100 Hulks. That's a lot of Hulks. And then you move on. There's a little bit of drama between uh, Betty and General Ross and Armbruster. But we do get introduced back to um, Dr. Corbo. That's who, right. Who uh, who we met earlier in the Sentinel issues of uh, the Avengers. And they do reference the Star Corps 1. And apparently they want him to come out and help, I think. I guess he wants to come out and help, but they don't really want him to come out and help. Yeah, but apparently he was able to pull some strings at the White House. So the White House was able to basically tell the colonel that, all right, Dr. Corbo's coming to help. Well, no as choice. the inventor of Starcore 1, he pulls a lot of rank. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So Dr. Corbo lands on the uh, Air Force or military base or wherever they are, and uh, immediately he can hear and feel the pounding on the tarmac of the Hulk. And uh, he's wondering how long how long this will hold. It's supposed to uh, hold 100 Hulks, so it should hold forever, but now the technical people are saying two days. <laughs> <laughs> the Hulk is just basically trying to smash, and it's not quite working, but everyone's predicting doom and gloom. Apparently this machine, uh, or, or a machine that Dr. Corbo is manning, is supposed to blast the Hulk and send him into a different dimension using a space-time warp that Dr. Corbo has been experimenting on. This is a pretty smart guy. This is, this is a good idea. Yeah. So they, they want to send him to this dimension, work on a cure for him, bring him back, and apply that cure. Yeah, Dr. Dr. Corbo is a good guy. But if they can't find a cure, they're just going to leave him in there forever. Oh. Ooh. <laughs> That's not, not so cool. good. <laughs> uh, so, you know, they're working on it, and Hulk's smashing and talking. But then eventually he gets blasted. And they blast him into a whole other dimension. But what they didn't really plan on was the fact that somehow the machine switched him, putting the Hulk, or swapped him, putting the Hulk in another dimension, but pulling someone out of that other dimension. Someone's in there. Someone who looks even more powerful than the Hulk. Oh, no. <laughs> And this this does, I mean, bring forth an interesting question, you know, one that may have been asked at the time. Who's stronger, the Hulk or the Juggernaut? Well, ask me that again by the end of the issue. <laughs> yes, I, I suppose we'll have the answer. <laughs> so Juggernaut starts smashing the walls, and, and it turns out they're not holding very well uh, 
at all of the Hulk weaken the wall more than I figured. That powerhouse is actually busting out. We've got to try the transporter again. So they attempt to blast Juggernaut back into back into whatever whatever dimension he came from. And unfortunately they get a huge feedback feedback loop and the the machine explodes, it looks like. I think yeah, it explodes and it brings the Hulk back uh, and leaves the juggernaut in place. So now there's the Hulk and Juggernaut inside the thing, and Juggernaut attempts to explain uh, who he is to the to the Hulk by giving him a series of flashbacks from issues. So we're gonna 16, 67, yeah. 81, 182, Amazing Adventure sixteen, and so which I'm... we all we know all of. But yeah. let's find out what happens after uh, the, the Juggernaut supposedly died. So the juggernaut was, uh, he, he was aged when the beast pulled his helmet off and turned into an old decrepit man. And then from there, I guess. Well, Inside of the dimension that the, he got sent back to as an old man, the consciousness of the dimension wanted to be rid of what it considered a terrible, ter- a troublesome bacterium. It offered to restore my youth and return me to earth in exchange for my mystic powers. I agreed he had mystic powers. I guess he did. Yeah. From Dr. Strange gave him those. He had all sorts of crazy powers. He had like a force field for a while and mental powers and then his Dr. Strange powers. I'm glad they explained why he doesn't have those now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if this holds true and nothing changes, then this would be a good point to like, remember, this was when he kind of was normalized to just being a strong dude. But anyways. Uh, Hulk doesn't comprehend any of whatever the Juggernaut's talking about. So they're like, let's just smash. I'm and curious. Hulk is like, ah, I don't trust you, but I will do what you say until Hulk is free. I'm curious. And then we turn the page and they're free. <laughs> I'm curious what the troublesome bacterium was. The juggernaut. I mean, the juggernaut was going to go to this dimension to die. And at, at well, the, at, the, the consciousness of the dimension felt that the juggernaut was a troublesome bacterium. But he was just going to die. I mean, at the at the rate he was aging, he would have been dust in like a couple of minutes. It's not a very well thought out scenario, but <laughs> <laughs> okay, just a re- just, it is what it is. It's, it's just a comic a, book. It's just a real quick excuse to get the Juggernaut back in the comic. Exactly. Okay. So, as you said, for- uh, the 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 consciousness of the dimension dimension thought I smelled bad. <laughs> it didn't even want my stinky dust laying around, so it offered to make me young <laughs> and send me back. It, it's allergic to the smell of dead. Aha. Uh-huh. So it offered to give me everything I could ever want. <laughs> That's handy. <laughs> Except for my mystical powers. Yeah. Well, anyways, he's, he's still strong. And as Hulk and Juggernaut prove, uh, the military is no match for either of them. And apparently the rhino was here, according to the, according to the last issue. Oh, yeah? The last issue note, the the abomination, the rhino, apparently tore waste to the army base a few days ago. All right. Uh, After defeating the military folks, the Hulk jumps away, and I guess the Juggernaut walks away. It doesn't really show. Thunderbolt uh, Thunderbolt Ross says, I told you so. And then, uh, yeah, it looks like the the Juggernaut just kind of runs away. Then Arm points at the Hulk, seeing seeing him leap. Someone says, look at the Hulk. Can that tormented monster be connected with our mission here, sir? The answer from the arm is, I doubt it. After all, would our portable Cerebro have reacted to his presence here? No, because he's not a mutant. 
Mm. It should also be, I guess, referenced because we'll we'll get to it in a little bit that uh, the Hulk also misses his friends: the dumb magician, the fish man, the girl on the horse, the silver one, and the purple man. Hulk have lots of friends. He's referring to, of course, the Defenders. Yes. Anyways, he misses the Defenders. So we cut from the mini Cerebro presence to Mr. and Mrs. Average American Tourist who are driving across country, and uh, I think they see either the Juggernaut or the Hulk. They see the Juggernaut, and they swerve into a rock to avoid him. And for some reason, it says, Quiz Time, Place the Shadow. So are they asking us who that is, or like... Where yeah, they're, they're asking us who that is. Yeah, okay, so it's the Juggernaut. But we turn the page and it's Juggernaut. Yes. And he says, cowardly mortals, which is, I don't know, doesn't sound very Juggernautish, but whatever. I guess what he wants to do is he would like to take down the accursed X-Men, you know, because that's the, his arch nemesis. But he'd also like to take all mankind down as well. Wow. And so I think he's just going to kill these random people. These are new plans for the Juggernaut. He's He's gone mental. Yeah. <laughs> gone mental and uh then the hulk shows up and he's like let go of man juggernaut because hulk doesn't want juggernaut to smash people he he doesn't think that's right he's got a heart of gold that hulk he's got a heart of green yeah yeah uh juggernaut throws the human at the hulk and then juggernaut runs towards another victim who's laying on the ground but the hulk then smashes into juggernaut knocking him knocking him over juggernaut turns around and is like oh yeah you think you can face the power of the Sidorak? Yeah. And then knocks him over top of a little, a small mesa. And then Juggernaut runs through the mesa and tackles Hulk. Yeah. <laughs> That's crazy. And then uh, Hulk clomps him on the head. And Juggernaut kicks Hulk. And Hulk throw mountain at Juggernaut. And, you know, just back and forth, panel by panel. There's some some serious some serious battling. Do you remember um, there was a, a He-Man figure whose name was Ram Ram Man? Do you remember yes. Ram Man? And you mm-hmm. could like pu- push him down and and like his legs would spring up and he'd go for you know he'd, he'd spring up. Or in the comic yep. books he would just like ram into people. Well, in the last panel here, Juggernaut looks like he's doing a reverse Ram Man where he's using his feet instead of his head. It's a very <laughs> silly looking attack that he's doing on the hulk it looks this is a pretty brutish brutal brooding, brutal <laughs> this go. is a pretty brutal battle and um it looks like the juggernauts kind of has the advantage i would say that if the juggernaut used these crazy tactics on the x-men i don't know that the x-men would be around much but uh hulk kind of gets lucky he grabs juggernaut Although in the next page, Juggernaut looks like he's lost a lot of weight, but <laughs> yes. he he he, dra- he grabs Juggernaut by the eye holes in his mask mm-hmm. and starts spinning him around to throw him, and uh, the Juggernaut's helmet just pops off. <laughs> no, not my Pop! helmet. <laughs> and uh, we get a little diagram of the Juggernaut hitting a mesa. The helmet, or him saying helmet, Juggy's flight path, the Hulk, the probable point of impact. Uh, whatever, it's dumb. Hulk not sure, but Hulk think fight is over, and then Hulk starts walking away. So I guess, uh, and he tosses the helmet aside. It was said in previous issues that the Juggernaut gets his power from his mystic helmet. But 
I also thought there was like the crimson bands of Sidorak, and, and so he's missing his helmet and he's not aging. So whatever that was is no longer there. My question is, do you think he's still like juggernaut strong without his helmet? Uh, it doesn't really say. He's pretty upset by losing his helmet, but he looks like he's about to tackle the Hulk. Yeah. With his helmet off. All of a sudden, somebody says from behind him, Kane. What? He turns around and it's some of the X-Men. Not all of the X-Men, Kane, but enough to deal with you. You can't stop me now. And then the X-Men stop him in one panel. Immediately. And it's just, (laughs) it's just Marvel Girl, Cyclops, and the Professor. Cyclops uses his power beam and uh, Marvel Girl and Professor X use mental blasts and the Juggernaut is out like that. But is he really using his power beam? All I see are Marvel Girl's powers and the Professor's powers. I don't really see a beam coming from Cyclops' face. Yeah, I guess <laughs> Professor S just says that Cyclops is going to use his power beam, but maybe Cyclops is like, I don't really feel like it. <laughs> I mean, in all you know, fairness or, or quote-unquote reality, the Professor just needs to use his mind control powers to say, Kane, go to sleep. Right, exactly. Because there's no helmet. It works for me. It was just kind of, it's just interesting that... Yeah. In one panel, they take him down. So anyways, uh, they're they're not going to pursue the Hulk because this mission was never about the Hulk. This is a mission to find and recruit Havok and Lorna Dane to help them find the missing angel. So uh, apparently Havok and Lorna Dane never actually returned from Arizona, from where we first started off in Hulk a few, well, a lot of issues ago. 150. And we determined that the angel was missing uh, as of uh, the Sentinel issues with the Avengers. So it's all coming together, everybody. Yeah. Stick with us. Can any man be truly free when the fates have cast him as the most tormented creature ever to walk the earth? Next issue, the Cobalt Man. But we don't care about the Cobalt Man. But we do care about Captain America number 172, the April 1974 issue. This one's titled, Believe It or Not... The Banshee. I would really like to find the omnibus of the mid-70s Captain America because when they take their costumes off, they are so swank it is disgusting. (laughs) I mean, their shirts are hanging down to their navels. They got gold chains on, big old sideburns and puffy hair. It's awesome. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Well, to set up a little bit of backstory, because I guess it will matter in the end, there's this guy named Moonstone who apparently has potentially framed Captain America for, I don't know, some crime. And so Captain America and the Falcon are fugitives, and this guy named Moonstone is, like, the new Captain America guy. He's, like, the president's right-hand man. and Yes, he's posing as a hero, but he is actually in league with whoever set Cap up. Yes. So that kind of catches us up to that. I don't want to deal too much with it because we want to just get to the X-Men. This one's by Steve Englehart. Author, you may recognize him from such beast issues of Amazing Adventures. Yeah, Steve Engelhart, you might remind, or, I mean, he's written a lot of other stuff we've covered. I wonder if he's got a grand plan or something. Sal Buscema is the artist. We'll remember him from X-Men number 66. I guess the last issue ended with a cliffhanger where uh, Moonstone was about to take out Cap and Falcon, and they managed to escape and they put on their uh, uh, civvies and head out to Nashville where they have discovered that – what did they discover is happening in Nashville? 
I don't know. They get in line for something. But uh, they run into the Banshee, and the Banshee is waiting for Merle Haggard tickets. That's how you know it's so cool, right? (laughs) Banshee's got his hair all slicked back. He's got some sunglasses, and yeah. He is a he's a, he's an Irish man that loves country music. Okay, they determine that there's a moon rock in Nashville, and that Moonstone is from Nashville, so they're going to investigate. So yes, Merle Haggard, Banshee, sunglasses. Banshee still got that huge lip thing. I don't know what you call that, but where his bottom, the top of uh, the top of his top lip, and the bottom of his nose is like three inches long. <laughs> Long face. Yeah, I think between this issue and giant size number one, he must have gotten some plastic surgery. <laughs> he Banshee immediately freaks out seeing Captain America. He uh, underneath Captain America's uh, trench coat. There, well, <laughs> Banshee's doing the same thing. Basically, you have Captain America, Falcon, and Banshee all wearing trench coats with their costumes underneath. Banshee. Bumps into Captain America and exposes his costume and freaks out and there and then whips off his trench coat. Hi to tie, that man is Captain America. <laughs> he must be after me lucky charms. You'll never take the Banshee alive. Hi to tie to tie, I will scream. But you get a full page spread of the Banshee whipping off his trench coat, revealing his costume. I want to know, he's got those wing things. Like, How did he get those into the sleeves? <laughs> exactly. I don't know. Maybe they're just made of super, super stretchy material. He uh, does a sonic scream, which Cap definitely blocks with his shield, which, where did he keep that shield? I think doesn't, I mean, it doesn't make any sense, but I think he keeps it strapped to his back. All right. I don't know how he would hide that, but. Right. Okay. Yeah. I just I think any issue I've ever seen with Captain America where he's in civvies and then goes into Captain America mode, he's basically takes his shirt off and he's got his shield around his sh- uh, on his back, which you know physically just would not work. But anyways, <laughs> <laughs> anyways, they fight. They do fight indeed. More fighting, and uh, for some reason the Falcon can't fly, but if he gets high enough, he climbs up to the top of a lamppost, jumps down, and now he can fly. I guess uh, Captain America punched uh, um, Banshee in the face and he was unable to scream for a little bit. So he couldn't do like a sonic, supersonic scream, but he could do enough of a scream to launch him into the air. The Falcon, I don't understand what his powers are other than that of having a dumb costume that allows him to glide. Yeah, he can fly, but he needs to get up to high ground first. He can't just jump off the air. He, he yeah, it's, it's, I don't know. And he's super strong. Does Cap have superpowers at this point? Wasn't there some sort of superpower thing going on? Yeah, earlier in the issue, he talks about his new super strength. Yeah. So I always thought he had super strength from the whole super soldier serum, but I guess not. Well, anyway, Banshee gets his scream back and uh, screams at a building above Cap and Falcon, which lands on them. And then he, uh, he they have to collapse, clasp their ears, uh, hands around their ears because the the Banshee is winning with his his crazy sonic scream. We get a, a whole bunch, a whole page filled with panels of screaming, all sorts of screaming, and Cap and Falcon are in agony when suddenly, from behind the strange man with the strange words, that being uh, Banshee, we get a brack and a blast happens underneath his legs. He turns around to discover Snake's alive. Tis Cyclops of the X Men. So Cyclops is there, and he doesn't want to hurt Banshee. He just wants to talk. 
um, but of course, there's a case, another case of mistaken identity or uh, whatever you want to call it, and then they start fighting. I would like to point out, though, that uh, so Cyclops is in his original uniform, just like they were in the last issue, Marvel Girl and Cyclops were. Uh, but in the bottom panel, his neck is colored flesh-colored <laughs> and oh, not yeah, blue. Kind of weird <laughs> and then actually throughout the rest of the comic book, you'll see that his neck is colored skin-colored uh, and not blue like it should be. So it's mm. it's really, really funny looking. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, they, they've come to find Captain America, I guess. And uh, I don't know, Banshee just thinks that they want to get him for some reason. Even though I'm pretty sure they left on good terms the last time they talked. Well, I think they were just trying to find uh, a Banshee because Cyclops says, we've come a long way to get you. And then uh, Banshee understands that wrong and punches oh. Cyclops in the stomach. And I'll bet you have, but I'll not be gotten today. And then screams at him and Cyclops shouts, my ears. <laughs> I didn't know he could do that. <laughs> so, uh, Cyclops or no, uh, Captain America and Falcon start levitating. Yep. yep. Apparently are dragged across town. <laughs> Into the country where they meet up with Marvel Girl and Professor X. It turns out that uh, apparently Marvel Girl's telekinesis ability has improved by leaps and bounds if she is able to pick them up and drag them from the city to outside the city. I agree. There's a lot it's of things impressive. that are not quite right in this issue. But maybe the professor is augmenting her skill with sure. some mind bullets. So the Cap Captain America would like to know why the mutants are attacking Captain America. And uh, the professor's like, you've got it all wrong. Somebody has declared open season on mutants. And as it turns out, says the professor, I think it's the same group hunting us that hunts you. Mm -hmm. Based on no evidence that he can provide <laughs> whatsoever. But uh, they all decide that, hey, let's let's team up and uh, let's go find out what's going on here. Next issue, The Secret Empire. Captain America number 173. The Secret Empire? The May 1974 issue titled The Sins of the Secret Empire featuring uh, the same creative team. The cover promises that, uh, well, that this is the Marvel Age of Comics Phase 2. So I don't know what that means. Yeah. Maybe this is the one of the first times everything changes. Hmm. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I have no idea. Maybe there will be something inside that will tell us, and and we'll skip over it. Probably. Side by side with the X-Men. As they were talking and uh, deciding that they were going to work with one another, uh, Nick Fury and S.H.I.E.L.D. sneak up on them. Interesting that S.H.I.E.L.D. at this point stands for Supreme Headquarters International Espionage Law Enforcement Division. Nick Fury is uh, threatening the the group of people, and uh, I don't know why the professor isn't just like mind wipe. Come on, Cap, let's go, but he doesn't. That seems to be a uh, lack of knowledge on the writer's parts. <laughs> yeah, but what the professor does do is he mentally makes himself invisible because no one must know of my connection with the X-Men. In other words, oh, boy. <laughs> the professor's just worrying about himself. Get him my X-Men, but I'll hide myself. Marvel Girl telekinetically pulls, uh, lifts Falcon into the air so that he can fly. Mm -hmm. And uh, Cyclops 
in another misuse of his powers, shoots the ground, causing a fire. Yeah. Sets a tree on fire with his force beam. Maybe there was like some matches down there and some <laughs> granite and the force pushed the matches across the granite, igniting a, a spark, which caught, it, was a, it was a drought that year, which just caught that prairie on fire. But anyways. <laughs> and then the X-Men, Captain America, Falcon, they all run away. I love how Captain America pushes the professor. <laughs> yeah, it's a good panel. <laughs> Looks like he's racing them. Come on, professor. I'm going to race you. I've got you, sir. So they take off. Uh, Shield's all like, this is ridiculous. I'm so angry. <laughs> dum dum Dugan, he's, he's twiddles his mustache a little bit. As he does. And so they make their way to an abandoned mine shaft. I guess it's abandoned. They make their way to a, a mine shaft. Uh, yeah, it's abandoned. And so they, they do a little bit of talking. Uh, the professor explains that the X-Men are largely unknown to the public. We get a little recap of Magneto's return. Um, Magneto plunged us into hypnotic comas, as mm -hmm. we saw in Avengers 110 and 111. We talk about, uh, I guess, Thor and Iron Man, and then they were trying to locate the beast, but they couldn't find the beast. An angel also was missing, so they went and tracked down uh, Lorna Dane and Havoc, but they were also missing... Yeah, the, the shack that they were in, as we saw in Hulk number 150, was abandoned. So presumably the, the Havoc and Lorna Dane were on their way back to Westchester, but never made it. Wait, what happened to Iceman? Did they say here? So like Beast disappeared. We, we've got that. Angel was captured after the Sentinel event. Well, no, not the Sentinel thing, but the uh, Avengers Magneto epic. Lorna and Havoc, we've got where, Iceman. Yeah, he's he's in the panel where they go to Havoc and Lorna Danes. Yeah, yeah. Um, Cyclops and Marvel Girl reported finding no one. The Iceman never returned. He calls him the Iceman. I sent my three remaining troops out on separate missions, scouting for traces of other mutants. So they just, oh, they just okay. lost them. Gotcha. Well, that was dumb. <laughs> all your mutants are missing, and you're going to send all three of them out in separate missions and then wonder why one of them doesn't return. Well, anyways, the, the professor has surmised that it can only be one enemy, and that enemy is the, the Secret, Secret Empire. Empire. The few clues we've uncovered. <laughs> I'd like to see what those clues are. I, uh, in this hand, I've got nothing, and in this other hand, I've got nothing. So I'm going to go with Secret Empire. <laughs> oh, yeah, that sounds good. He, The professor reveals that the beast in his alter ego had a girlfriend who's... A, Actions aroused the professor's uh, suspicions. I, I, I don't know when Linda Donaldson and the professor ever met. Linda but... Donaldson was what last in one of the amazing. She yeah, she was in the Amazing Adventures, like fourteen, maybe, maybe fifteen or sixteen. I, I think... don't know, fourteen. Okay, well, the last issue that featured uh, Beast was with Vera and the Juggernaut. So, yeah, that's right. Okay, well, whatever. So that's what it is, huh? The professor was aroused, and he's like, it's a secret empire arousing me. And everyone's like, professor, come on, that's disgusting. Speaking of Linda Donaldson. Why, there she is, talking to herself in her mind in the first person. Apparently, yes. Linda, my love, it's been a fast and furious and fruitful year for you, me. First you join the secret empire and get a signed string along that fool, Hank McCoy, when the beast appears, and eventually... Probably killed Hank McCoy for all I know. 
Oh, so she completely, oh my God, really? So like after all of that, where she was like, oh, I've killed Carl Maddox and, and now Bank McCoy might be dead. This is the worst thing. Now she's just like, eh, whatever. I'm going to drive. McCoy, a jellyfish, undoubtedly petrified by all the unexpected danger at the Long Island branch of the brand corporation, drops his research and disappears. So oh. she just think he ran away. And then she gets reassigned to the Dallas brand plant. Where you know, it's not very smart. She she could piece together that the Beast showed up when Hank McCoy showed up and then disappeared when Hank McCoy disappeared. Put two and two together, girl. <laughs> yeah, I'm with you. Rubber skin. <laughs> I mean, like, okay, those two items, I would say, okay, that's a weird coincidence. But you put the third piece in there, which is the fact that both of them hung out at the brand corporation, and now you've got something to go with. She yeah. doesn't. She doesn't piece it together, though. Well, anyways, uh, she drives out to, I guess, the middle of nowhere so that she can get a signal at 1247 precisely to contact the Masters. Agent 9 here. I am still unable to steal Brand's new Electron Gyro. Security is proving difficult to breach. However, I am told the two mutants, the Banshee and Cyclops, were spotted spotted downtown this morning. We already have that information, number 9. Do not attempt to divert us from failure, from your failure. We need that gyro. Get it. I thought they were in Nashville, and she said she was in Dallas. Well, I think they, uh, they're they in Dallas now. Okay. Fine. Yeah, because she is in Dallas. The The Brand Corporation building says on the side of the on the sign that it's Dallas, Texas. Yeah, but they all went to Nashville to go listen to Merle Haggard. And then they, I mean, like, they didn't run to an abandoned mine from Nashville to Dallas just to continue telling the story, did they? Well, they stopped telling the story. They, they're tracking Linda Donaldson now. They moved. She says that she spotted two mutants, Banshee and Cyclops, downtown. And they met in downtown Nashville. They didn't meet in downtown Dallas. Oh. <laughs> oops. Yeah, oops. Well, either, either, either they're wrong or we got it wrong. I don't know. I'm sure. I'm sure we got it wrong. <laughs> All right. Anyways, she pulls into her apartment. And uh, as she does, Cyclops comes out of nowhere and, uh, uh, well, kidnaps her. And she recognizes him. Cyclops. Cyclops. You're coming with me. At which point, uh, Captain America and Falcon, dressed up as uh, hardworking lumberjacks, <laughs> come out and attack Cyclops. Yeah. Let her go, you filthy mutie. So their plan is to be basically hobos looking for some work because it's the 70s. And if 70s exploitation films have taught me anything, it's that really strong 40-year-old men are always looking for work and willing to help out a damsel in distress. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and so they do. They they fend off Cyclops. And uh, Linda also gets in a move where she throws Cyclops over her shoulder, and Cyclops takes a beating. Yeah. I mean, that would have definitely knocked the wind out of anybody. <laughs> Doesn't uh, start any fires, though, so that's good. Yeah. He does shoot at them. He wants to make this whole thing look authentic. Uh, but on his parting blast, he runs off into the woods. And this is what I'm talking about with the sweet mustaches and sideburns. Oh, these guys look awesome. And they got their, their shirts tucked into their brown pants. Oh, my God. 
<laughs> you gonna be okay it's awesome man i wish i could have lived in this time frame <laughs> <laughs> nothing's preventing you from dressing like this every day yeah but i don't know i just imagine that you know like they just jump into a you know a, a challenger and, and drive off <laughs> i don't know <laughs> no they actually don't drive and jump into a challenger they walk away take it slow mama says the falcon they do drop, yeah, yeah, I love that lingo there too. No, they drop some clues like, oh, we're just looking for a job and we're staying, we even looked at the place that we're staying, the Southview Hotel. <laughs> right. And so they, uh, uh, oh, the um, Falcon's name, his pseudo name is uh, Willie Samuels and Captain America's name is Roger Stevens. That would be the, the reverse of both of their names. Aren't their names public? Like, doesn't everybody know that Steve Rogers is Captain America? I don't think so at this oh. point. You think he's got a secret identity at this point? I guess I they all did. I think so. Okay. I always thought, like, I mean, you, you have a secret identity, so you protect your family, your loved ones, and your friends. But Captain America, he didn't have any, right? So who cares? Like, I'm Steve Rogers. I had super secret or super serum injected in me. I don't care if you know who I am. I got no family. Yeah, I, I seem to recall, and I'm not 100% sure of this, but that Steve Rogers has a secret identity as a comic book artist. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Well, anyways, yeah, they do walk back to their uh, hotel, which, by the way, is a dollar per night. Not bad. Mm-hmm. And they, they play the waiting game. And before long, uh, they they receive a knock at the door, and a hooded Cobra commander shows up, <laughs> and it's number 13. He says, Greetings! I represent the secret empire. <laughs> Cobra. And he takes off in a little trouble bubble. It's awesome. Trouble bubble. <laughs> I will be brief. I offer you $10,000 cash for a night's work. 5000 now, 5000 to come up upon completion. I want you to rob, rob the brand corporation for an electric, electron gyro. Do it. <laughs> yep. And they're like, all right. Let's do it. They took the bait. And under no circumstances must the American people learn of our existence. So they break in in the uniform of Captain America and Falcon, and they, they actually but, mention this. But, but why, Adam? Why do they dress up in their costumes? Here's the explanation. It's got, it's got to be, partner. We have to produce the gyro for the secret empire if we want them to accept us. And since we're both fugitives, we can't do what we'd normally do and ask Brand to loan it to us. But not everyone thinks we're murderers, vigilantes, yet. So if we're caught tonight, well, I can pray it's by someone who still believes in Captain America. I don't know. That wasn't an answer. <laughs> Here's my, I mean, yeah. So he's like, he's relying on the fact that maybe Captain America's name still carries a little bit of weight. But here's my question. Like, say Captain America's name doesn't carry any weight or say some, you know, uh, delivery man sees Captain America and the Falcon running in the brand corporation. And uh, a news report comes out like almost immediately that Captain America and the Falcon have stolen the Electron Gyro. Oh, well, Jeremy, Cap's got a plan. Oh, He's going to leave a note. I, I know, but I mean, <laughs> that, I, yeah, I, I just, I don't understand why they don't, yeah. all right, fine. So they sneak in, the guards are reading Playboy, or some sort of magazine of that type. And they manage to get their hands on the Electron Gyro, steal it, but the guards are uh, alarmed, and they run for it, and they get shot at. 
and they cap sets off the sprinkler system with his shield and they jump through the window. Uh, Falcon flies away. And that's when we were the, they're, they're, they're going to shoot after them. But then the head of the uh, Mr. Black, the factory boss shows up and says, Nope, don't <laughs> shoot. I found a note. <laughs> uh, it's all, it all comes full circle. It's from Captain America saying he desperately needs the gyro and will turn it unarmed, unharmed. And I believe him. But but that could simply, uh, what? <laughs> to the authorities, I am innocent of all charges against me and need this electron gyro to help prove it. Please, dot, 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 <laughs> says the note. And we get a little reminder on the radio that, remember, if you see Captain America or his accomplice Falcon, report them immediately. The public reminder paid for by the Committee to Regain America's Principles, which I think is hilarious. And we'll get more into <laughs> that. But it took me like a couple of readings before I was like, oh, that's an acronym for crap. That's awesome. Oh, is it? <laughs> <laughs> committee to Regain America's Principles. Huh. Crap. How about that? <laughs> uh, I think I'm just going to give it away. I think we find out later that the secret empire is secretly funding the the committee to regain america's principles yes or crap it's true. <laughs> well anyways they they uh return to uh, a cabin i guess uh, agent 13's captain or a uh, cabin and uh, he's very pleased that they have the uh, electron gyro and he says follow me and then pulls out a gun and shoots a boulder and which reveals his carefully concealed scout craft they all get inside then he they land somewhere in the middle of nowhere. He tips a cactus. Now, as I tip this cactus, I reveal the hidden entrance to the ultimate lair of the secret empire. I invite you two to become two of them. Yay. It's a terror drome. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's an underground terror drome. And on a strange rocket ship that lands after they've gone underground reveals the professor and Cyclops and Marvel Girl following them. And Professor decides that they're going to wait outside. A strange rocket jet that apparently makes absolutely no, no noise, but produces a <laughs> rocket blast the size of the rocket ship as it lands. Yeah, and so they they do three panels on deciding what they're going to do. And in each panel, they say, wait. <laughs> because Captain America and the Vulcan may never come out of there alive. So we'll wait. The next issue is called It's Always Darkest. Dot, dot, dot. And I got to be honest, the first time, I mean, it's, it's kind of silly and campy and goofy, but the first time I, I read through this, I was like, oh, what, oh my God, what happens next? I, <laughs> I was totally hooked. So, uh, let, and I hope, listeners, that you're hooked as well, because we're going to move right on to Captain America number 174. Indeed. The, uh, what is it, June 1974 issue now? Called It's Always Darkest, just as the next caption uh, 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 revealed. Same. Uh, same creative team. And where are the Avengers? When Cap is on the run because he's a wanted felon, wouldn't he turn to the Avengers? I almost I mean, wonder. I mean, we it, won't find out. It's always. Uh, yeah, right. We won't find out. But I always. Uh, it always seems like when one of the heroes goes rogue, like the team that they used to be on instantly is like we got to capture him <laughs> and the guy that's on the run is like they'll never understand and they'll just take me into custody and i can't afford that sort of delay so i gotta imagine that's what's happening with the avengers and captain america right now 
So they're heading, they're in this giant tube, uh, elevator tube, heading down into the secret lair of the secret empire. As they descend down the elevator, Rogers Steve, or whatever his name is, uh, <laughs> he get he he uh, he has a uh, flashback of everything that has happened leading up to them stealing this energy gyron and descending into the uh, this lair. At what point uh, they meet up with Number One, remember him, and this uh, Number Thirteen says, "Salam, the Secret Empire." And number one says, Salam, number 13. Have you served the secret empire? <laughs> so, have you served the secret empire lately? Well, I think... I have, number one. <laughs> I think it is. It's like, have you served? Like, yeah, I've got your gun. But I want to ask this, like, Salam being their greeting, I mean, is this, are they, is this Muslim-based or what's going on here? Oh, you would have to ask the one question I don't know the answer to. <laughs> well... I'm sure well, not not the one. I mean, there's <laughs> plenty. Okay, uh, Salam, also spelled S-A-L-A-M, is uh, the Arabic word for peace, used often used in greeting. So this is S-A-L-A-A-M. It's it's the same thing. Oh, yeah. so peace, peace, the secret empire. Okay, yep. I buy that. So they're just borrowing a word from Arabic. It could be. Apparently, number one needs the electron gyro for the final component needed for their conquest of America. Nothing shall keep us from our goal. Captain America thinks to himself, Mr. You don't know how wrong you are. <laughs> He's a cocky one. So I think number one gives away a bunch of plot here. Um, he says the Watergate happens to be very fortuitous. It's happening at just the right time okay, uh, so that we can strike. But they're not behind Watergate. But they're, they're behind first toppling of the greatest symbol, which I believe is Captain America. Uh, right. He says that the Committee to Regain America's Principles is an impressive but neatly meaningless name that has been swamped with support. The public is anxious, even grateful in its desire for a new untarnished hero, our very own Moonstone. Yeah, he pretty much reveals everything. Mm-hmm. And when the Secret Empire finally strikes and Moonstone plays the part we wish, dot, dot, dot. But enough. Like, I'm, oops, I'm going to interrupt myself. Up too much. These new men must settle in. Take them to their quarters. I have revealed almost everything to them, and now we're going to send them off to a room to their death. <laughs> yeah, well, they don't think that they're going to their death. They think that they're going to be welcomed in as members of the Secret Empire. But the door closes and locks immediately behind them, and... Uh, what uh, Falcon realizes right away, oh, it's a trap. We better change into our uniforms. So they do. And then they rip open a panel. Well, Falcon Falcon is having a premonition, basically. So he's almost kind of wondering if he's got some additional powers he didn't realize he had. Yeah, uh, that's, a, that, that's a good point that I forgot about. Yeah. That's, that's, that'll come back. It's really important. <laughs> yes. <laughs> i got to ask this, though. There's two things I have a problem with on this page. First of all, you're going to um, infiltrate the Secret Empire, an enemy organization that toppled your status in the country. Why on earth are you going in with your costumes underneath your plain clothes? <laughs> I mean, any organized organization would say, uh, you know, not for nothing, uh, and don't take offenses, but we got to search you. Hey, yeah. What's the shield thing back here on your back? <laughs> um, that's my, um, moonstone <laughs> shield. Yeah, yeah, nothing, nothing to see. 
The second thing is, so they lock them in this room, and I think they pump, no, they, they have lasers in there that come out that basically shoot every which way so that nobody could survive. Yet, they've got this weak little panel that they can just rip off the side of the wall. Well, I, they electrify the vents, but somehow this one panel they forgot to electrify or something. <laughs> yeah. So they, they get into this duct work. The lasers go off. Um, number 64? I don't know what number he is. It, <laughs> and uh, a guy who, I don't know who he is, but he had a, uh, a cowl on, but now he has no cowl on. Uh, that must be number 16. Because somebody refers to number 16. And number 9 is there, Lynn Donaldson, also. And it turns out that num- this number 16 is Mr. Black, the oh, head of the right. uh, the factory worker. Yeah. The head of the factory that read the note and said, don't go after Cap. He knew what was going on the whole time. Whoa. <laughs> so this is the whole thing was a setup. Cap and Falcon walked right into it. They've been set up by the professor. The X-Men are betraying everyone. <laughs> it's so the X-Men are this secret empire, not these <laughs> clowns and their cowls. Well, that would have been a great twist. <laughs> so the Captain American Falcon, they escape through the tunnels, uh, and they confound all of the cowl-head guys. Falcon thinks to himself, what am I doing coming up with all these lucky hunches? Meanwhile, on the surface, Marvel Girl is wondering why the professor thinks something, or why the professor thinks something's wrong. And uh, the professor reveals that he has been, I guess, psionically uh, probing the whole base the whole time. I knew just in time of Mister Black's treachery and tried to telepathically warn our friends. An attempt which appears to have been successful, but now everything is happening so fast. Must rest. And uh, Cyclops says, don't give up, sir. You can help them out of that ambush. Professor's not having any of that. Uh, There's just so much data to register. So he's having a hard time soaking it all in. So now we understand why uh, Falcon is getting those premonitions. It wasn't a secondary superpower. It was the professor. Yeah. Meanwhile, uh, Captain America and Falcon are... Sneaking around the fortress when a giant robot comes out and attacks them. And they fight. Yep. <laughs> they fight it. They beat it. Pretty handily. Two pages. And uh, they make it to the surface and open the door to let Marvel Girl, uh, Cyclops, and the Professor in. Oh, it's, uh, yeah. Falcon gets another hunch. I really want to open this door. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so. And it turns out that behind the door is the X-Men and um, Marvel Girl and Cyclops is flying holding up the uh, professor's wheelchair. So now all of them are in the base, and uh, they go exploring. Whee! Uh, they, the professor does explain that uh, um, Falcon is not a mutant, uh, but he has an uncommon rapport with his hawk, which may have made him susceptible to the mental probings or whatever. We can discuss it later. But wait, what is that... Uh... Does that mean that the professor can only contact? Like, why does he think he? Why does Falcon think he's a mutant? Well, it was it was your reception of my telepathic urgings marks you as a man with a paranormal mind, Falcon. The professor can target anybody. Granted, he could have probably reached out to everybody, but I think he was. If I was to try to explain it in some way that made sense, it would be the professor trying to 
subconsciously push people to make a decision without alarming everybody to, oh my God, somebody's out there trying to control our minds. So he was reaching out to the entire base, planting little tiny notes of information, and uh, Falcon was like, oh man, we should open this door, and we should rip off this panel. That's my explanation. Yeah. All right. Um, okay. Uh, the professor seems to know where the missing mutants are, so they they all start to head in that direction. And then we cut to Moonstone, where he's uh, doing a TV show. He's got his arm around a beautiful woman. I, I just do my job, Mister Miss Kearney, with both Watergate and Captain America pulling this nation apart. That's all any of us regular Americans can do to keep the ship of state afloat. And the audience is eating it up. Some dude in the wings. Uh, I think it's Quentin Harderman, but I don't know who he is. But he's kind of... He's, uh, he's like a PR man who um, who works for the, the secret empire. But he doesn't... He doesn't he's like a freelance. Yeah. Freelance PR guy who uh, uh, set up... He's the one who orchestrated the plan that set up Captain America. Definitely. So they head down. Uh, I guess we're back into the lair with the X-Men and Captain America and Falcon. And they're, they've gotten to a door. And they open that door. And they cannot believe what they see. Holy crow, says Falcon. Professor, says Cyclops. And Professor says, I, I see. What do they see, true believer? For the astonishing answer, open your eyes wide to turn and turn to the double page spread. On pages 22 and 23. I didn't know that double page spread was an actual term. I thought it was just what people call double page spreads, but I guess it makes sense. I've never seen it in a comic before. I have to imagine that double page spreads were pretty rare in this era. Yeah, there's like a collection online of like all of uh, Jack Kirby's double page spreads, and they do make kind of a big deal out of it. So, And, and there's only a handful of them. Right. So, yeah, I guess, I guess so. And this is not that impressive of a double-page spread, but... What? Are you kidding? Mutants! Mutants everywhere! And they're all on this giant wheel. There's Beast and Mastermind and Eunice and Lorna Dane and Havoc and Mesmero and Angel and Iceman and... Why, why isn't Blob on the wheel? Because he's too fat. He's laying on the table. <laughs> That's terrible. <laughs> and you got Beast Poor in there? Blob. I got to point out that uh, Mesmero, uh, maybe it's just the way he's colored, but his face is flesh colored while the rest of him is green. But other than that, yeah. Uh, are we missing any mutants? Where's Toad? There's no Toad. No, Toad must have escaped this this craziness. There's no Quicksilver or um, Scarlet Witch. Well, they're Avengers, presumably. Yeah. I'm just, you know, uh, what other mutants have we met through our, our, our jolly run that we would have... Seen Calvin Rankin's dead. He's dead, yep. Namor is probably too difficult to get to. Sure, too strong. Uh, where do we leave Magneto? He's dead. No, yeah, no. Where did we they leave ca- They They, st- they ca- uh, Vision knocked him out. Yeah, they didn't do so, anything with him. They, he, they knocked him out and they're like, they told a joke and then they walked away or something right. like that. So I guess he must be captured. Okay. All right. Well, I guess this is a pretty, uh, pretty, pretty decent collection of mutants. But yeah, they're what about the Vanisher. Where's the Vanisher? They totally forgot about the Vanisher. So they're all hooked up on this wheel, and then Blob on his little slab uh, to a giant, hideous machine. Oh man, that machine is hideous. 
And so Captain America does the only reasonable thing, which is to smash that machine without any thought about the mutants that are hooked up. And uh, Cyclops blasts it too. But to be fair, the professor tells them to. Yeah, he says that his mental probes of the machine <clears throat> shows that it's siphoning their brain power. And uh, all the mutants are free, just like that. I'll probe the angel's mind to learn how he came to be here. It was our search for him that brought us into this deadly puzzle in the first place. Yes, his memory is clear. He was relaxing at our school. There he is reading a book. Mm -hmm. When Magneto, he's using his old costume too. Yeah. When Magneto overcame him, in order, apparently flipped his chair over, in order to steal his energy absorbing costume that he's not wearing. (laughs) We saw why and what happened to Maggie afterwards in Adventures 111. Oh, that's the, yeah, that's not Professor. No. (laughs) It's colored the same, so I thought it was. It's colored pretty terribly. Sometime later, the angel awoke to find himself clothed in his original X-Men uniform that he was clothed in in the first two panels. Well, no, the the first panel is like some weird hybrid of his original uniform and... Oh, it's just miscolored. It's icy. It's colored yellow and black or blue instead of white and blue. Yeah. Okay. So I was confused. I was confused, too. So it's totally colored wrong. That is supposed to be the costume, the white and blue costume. Uh, that was really nice of Magneto to redress Angel. I know. <laughs> well, he's like, look at him. <laughs> All naked. That's not right. It must, be, it must be really difficult to get these costumes on around his wings. <laughs> That's okay. Magneto's got nothing but time. <laughs> Angel woke up and uh, went to look for... The X-Men, and that's when he got caught. Oh, right. And he gets shot by a mystery beam. He was struck down from... He was struck down from ambush. What's a weird structure of a sentence? He was struck down from ambush. From ambush. He was struck down from... uh, Whatever. It doesn't make sense. Yeah, there's no way to read that (laughs) properly. Uh, He was struck down from ambush. Beast uh, only gets two panels. Him running back to the brand corporation and getting shot. And we and he was loping. Yeah. And we, we don't find out about anybody else, but I guess we can assume it was very similar. Actually, the professor says that. In fact, my probing shows similar stories for all these men and women. So basically, the writer, uh, Steve Asim, is like, yeah, <laughs> they all got shot. Hey, you just combine the writer and the artist into one name. Oops. Steve Buscema. Steve, <laughs> Steve Donaldson. Steve Engelhart. No, that's Linda Donaldson. <laughs> Steve Engelson. Close enough. Yeah, all right. He got lazy. <laughs> Anyways, uh, while these guys were busy talking about the reasons why they all got captured, in comes number one, Linda Donaldson and a whole bunch of henchmen. And rather than doing whatever they wanted to do with them, now they're going to kill them. Well, maybe they're just going to kill... Maybe they're just speaking to the, everybody. Like, Because all the people that they just rescued are still kind of out of it. Maybe they're not really talking to them. Oh, yeah, it could be. So they they're, fight. They're going to recapture those guys, but they're going to kill Cap and Falcon and the Professor and Marianne. So they fight and they fight and they fight. And then number somebody, number one says, number 68, bring me the Atomic Annihilator. <laughs> <laughs> and number 68 brings a very large Atomic Annihilator and fires it at all of the heroes. Knocking all of them except for Captain America out. But Captain America is weak. No, it can't end like this. And presumably he falls unconscious. Dead. All of them dead. 
Oh, they're dead. Oh, my God. <laughs> Not- this is serious. Nothing survives the atomic annihilator. And with them gone, America soon shall follow. That's a pretty cool gun. So this is the last issue of uh, Captain America. Evidently. <laughs> and apparently X-Men will never continue. I do like, uh, so the last comic, this issue was called uh, It's Always Darkest Before, or It's Always Darkest, and the next issue is called Before the Dawn. So I like that carry through. It's nice. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Captain America 175, the July 1974 issue titled Before the Dawn, featuring the same artistic two. Moonstone on the cover is completely colored wrong. He's orange <laughs> and purple rather than his light blue costume, but whatever. Well, not only that, but there's two of them. Is there? Is that what this other guy is? I think this other guy is like the security guard, isn't he? No, he's no. he's man menace. <laughs> <laughs> but now you face the deadliest man menace of all. He looks like Ram Man again. <laughs> yeah, he does. Well, anyways, uh, number one is still gloating. <laughs> number 68 is holding the smoking atomic annihilator. The power of the atomic annihilator, the power that has slaughtered them all. Yay! So apparently he wants to drag all of the dead heroes into the sub-basement. Which he does, and then they get dumped like so much garbage. Uh, and Captain America comes too, so he's, what? he's I not... I thought he was dead! He's not dead. Well, it's a secondary mutation. Oh. <laughs> he's resurrected, um... No, it turns out that number 68, the guy who shot them with the atomic annihilator, is actually Gabe Jones, special agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. And who is this other hooded person? Why, it's Peggy Carter. Oh my god. Who apparently has a crush on Cap. Of or something. Of course as we'll she find does. Out in a couple of pages. So... Apparently, Gabe used the non-lethal setting on the Atomic Annihilator. Thank God for that. Whoever designed that was like, we better, just in case, let's have a non-lethal setting. It's a switch on the side that says non-lethal, lethal. But it looks pretty deadly. (laughs) So apparently, Gabe, I guess, infiltrated and became trustworthy and, yeah, became their heavy arms uh, guy. He's apparently been around for several permutations of the Secret Empire um, and toppling several number ones. And this is the this is just the latest number one in a long line of number ones. And he's had to infiltrate the, the, the Supreme or Secret Empire many times. Uh, and apparently the Secret Empire has been uh, not just in the pages that we've read, but also in some Tales to Astonish. Multiple Tales to Astonish issues featuring um, Submariner, Hulk. Yep. And... 81 through 84. Yep. So now we're all kind of caught up on where everybody is. And uh, Miss Peggy Carter and Cap hug and Cap thinks to himself, Oh, Gabe, how could you know that Peggy thinks I'm in love with her instead of her younger sister, Sharon? Lord, I have to tell her the truth if I survive the rest of this day. Oh, the drama. So wait, is he in love with the daughter or the mother? I, or I think sister. He's in love with the the younger sister Sharon Sharon oh. Carter. Okay. Well, yeah, Sharon Carter is like super important in the cat mythology. So even though they thought they killed everybody, they took the mutants and attached them all to the same wheel or another wheel. I'm telling you, they just shot 
the the five guys in the front. They were they were like, we're gonna kill you, and then they shot them. Okay, but they did not like they didn't. All those groggy mutants in the back. Hey, somehow they got Blob on the disc. I know. So that's why I was, well, I'm wondering if it's a different disc because now Blob is on it. All right, fine. <laughs> they so got a, they got a bigger disc. They recaptured them, reattached them to the disc, and they're, they've got like giant robot hands which are connecting this giant <laughs> disc to a big saucer. Careful, don't tip the mutants too far or they'll fall. <laughs> <laughs> Good <Great>. advice. <laughs> Uh, I guess, I don't know, Is the ship is like a mutant-powered spaceship or something like that? You're certain this saucer craft will fly number three? Indeed, with the electron gyro for steering, and the X-waves our machine derives from the captured mutant's brains for power, this ship will serve us well, <laughs> says number three. And then they take off to conquer America. They load up the ship with a bunch of, um, well... Um, people, soldiers, secret empire soldiers, and and they head off, head off to Washington, where it turns out that uh, Moonstone has actually been in a congressional hearing, uh, probably testifying against Captain America or something. When yeah. the secret empire's space saucer lands on the lawn of the White House, oh no! Oh my God! And the military is immediately uh, deployed and shows up. The TV stations are immediately there. And a, a little miniature TV launches out of the top of the screen and number uh, uh, the, the top of the UFO. And number one appears on it and says, America, I am number one. I demand immediate and unconditional surrender. And the military immediately attacks to no avail. <laughs> this is like... <laughs> This is the worst ever. It is pretty bad. America! <laughs> a, Surrender! A force field, gentlemen, created with the brainwaves of mutants. Jeez, Harry, that was our best stuff. Where the devil's the president? <laughs> he's at the retreat, so everybody's just fine. Don't worry about it. Because oh. he's, he, he's like a super soldier. He'll help. How is he going to help? <laughs> well, actually, it says he's at his repeat. He's at his retreat, the White House says. He's supposed to be flying in. <laughs> why? Oh, well, we'll find out why when we get to the end of this issue. But oh, okay. Um. Yeah, it's what are they? It's just pointless dialogue. Why would the why why would they need the president to be there? I don't know, but to be fodder, <laughs> have the president save us. <laughs> Anyways, Moonstone flies in, and I I almost surmised at this point that this whole thing was a plot for Moonstone to like defeat the Secret Empire to like solidify his standing in the hero uh, business, but it's not. No, no. In fact, uh, the doors open on the um, the UFO and number two, a mighty warrior who on the cover was apparently Man Menace, uh, shows up and uh, they they start to fight Moonstone and number two. No, something's going wrong. Number two grabs Moonstone's uniform and rears back. He's throwing his punch. Vadoom! You nullified my powers with one punch! <laughs> Oh, I know what's going on. So uh, I, I, um, Moonstone has gotten the trust of everybody in America. And so he, since he's defeated, he goes into the ship and he's going to negotiate with the secret empire. But instead of negotiating, he comes out and he says, 
My fellow Americans, there's no hope. We must surrender. Let's give them everything, and everything will be just fine. And this is the Secret Empire's ultimate plan. That was the master plan. That's an interesting plan. It's a pretty good idea for a comic book. I have to... I mean, why all the backstory with Linda Donaldson and the Beast all those issues ago? Like, what did that have to do with this? Well... I suspected that that was like a slightly different story that he was kind of developing and then kind of decided to combine when Beast, the when the uh, Amazing Adventures got canceled. Okay. The Beast portion of it got canceled. That's just my guess. So apparently, uh, number one comes out and he's talking about how his agents are planting atomic explosives all over. The America. nation has 30 minutes to surrender or order the destruction of every major city. Do not force by hand. But Falcon, Gabe, Sharon, Captain America, Cyclops, they stowed uh, aboard the flying saucer somehow. Yeah, we didn't see, we didn't get to see that. <laughs> nope. And Captain America will potentially get retribution. Let's get him! <laughs> he cries. Cap, that's Captain America's big plan is to storm the bridge. And, uh, and somebody in the front says, what? Treachery. I, I don't know why they would assume this is treachery. What? Treachery! I'm just going to start saying that randomly from now on. <laughs> Jeremy, what? Treachery! Those people that aren't a part of our team, they're they're Treacherous! treacherous. Well, anyways, they take out these secret empire people pretty easily. What? Treachery! <laughs> Cyclops starts playing with the controls. He's ripping out wires. <laughs> <laughs> Professor X couldn't join this fight, but this is for him. Stupid wheelchair boundary. <laughs> so they left him back at the secret base, I guess. He's just twiddling his thumbs. I will remain invisible so that no one knows that I am connected to the X-Men. No one must do. So, uh, yeah, Captain America, he heads outside. And... Where he tackles number one. Oh, and they're fighting mano a mano. Oh, wait a minute. I remember how this ends. This ends horribly. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> uh, you heard it here. Let's just skip the rest of it. Next issue. Oh, so they fight. Um... Not sure how the Falcon is flying. He must have gotten some high ground inside the ship and managed to swing out through the door. Don't really explain that. Or maybe Marvel Girl's lifting him up telekinetically. Yep, that's what it's got to be. Sure. We get a showdown between Moonstone and Captain America. Oh, it's been coming. And Captain America runs him into a tree. Boom. And destroys the tree. In a one-page splash that contains absolutely no background art. <laughs> it's just yellow. And they fight. Hey, that tree qualifies as the background. All right. Uh, yeah, they just fight. They fight a whole bunch. And uh, eventually, Captain America prevails. Oh, yeah. He, he whips just like that. It's over. That's when Tom Haverstone or whatever the guy's name was <laughs> comes over and he's like, God bless you, Captain America. I just learned that my committee was duped. And then the, the Moonstone's like, what? No, I'm not taking the rap for this and reveals everything. <laughs> on national television, the faces of shocked citizens are shown in, in panels, except for the one guy in the upper left-hand corner who's just like, yep. Yep, I knew it. <laughs> who's this green guy on, on page 31? That's Viper. Oh, okay. Who, um, uh, Tom Haverstone, or <laughs> I, I really wish I could remember that guy's name. Uh, he He's who started this whole thing. 
because he wanted oh, to run oh, Captain oh, America. Yeah. So everything's pretty well wrapped up into a nice little package, except for number one, who everybody forgot about. The fools! They relaxed their guard too soon, assuming I'm still unconscious. This is my chance. Look, number one, making a break for it. These guys don't want to quit. I know, Worm, but it's not what I have hope of escape. He runs into the White House. Uh, I guess they get into the Oval Office, maybe. I, I don't know. I can't tell. But let's. I'm presuming it must be. Security's pretty lax here in the White House. <laughs> well, they're all outside shooting the UFO. Cap whips off number one's mask and is like, Oh, no. Good Lord. You. But you. You're. And then number one shoots himself in the head. Well, he says exactly, but high political office didn't satisfy me. My power was too constrained by legalities. I gambled on a coup to gain me the power I craved, and it appears that my gamble has finally failed. Oh, cash in my trips, then. <laughs> <laughs> right? I'm assuming, right? Yeah, it was It was supposed to be Nixon, but... <laughs> it's so stupid. But not really. I don't know. Um, I don't know what happens next in Marvel lore, but... I'm sure since Marvel somewhat ties into actual history, it, it'll turn out not to be Nixon. But, <laughs> but yeah, that seems to be what the implication is. And from what I've read, that was what the implication was. Oh, absolutely. I Like, it took me... I had to read, like, good Lord, it's you. You who? Like, what? Like, oh, the... Uh, oh, like, because they kept talking about Watergate over and over and over again. And then... Yeah, uh, there's all the references. Yeah. Where's the president? Oh, he, he's yeah. not here. So apparently the president shot himself and uh, the Captain America comes out and he basically does this little nothing will ever be the same walk and... Yeah. A man can change in a flicker of time. This man trusted the country of his birth. He saw its flaws, but trusted in its basic framework its stated goals, its long-term virtue. This man now is crushed inside. Like millions of other Americans, each in his own way, he has seen his trust mocked. And this man is Captain America! Next issue, Captain America no more? And this is when Captain America renounces his Captain America costume and becomes nomad. Is that when he wears, like, basically a black Captain America costume? I think so. Or, or is I'm nomad... not sure what the Nomad costume is. Well, there was a Nomad comic that I collected in the 90s, which basically was, uh, I think, one of Captain America's sidekicks with, like, a ponytail, sunglasses, and drove a motorcycle. <laughs> and, like, was maybe strong. Like, he didn't really have any... He was kind of like the Punisher, but drove a motorcycle. I don't think the run lasted very long. You mean the Punisher? The Punisher. <laughs> well, there you go, everybody. That wraps up... Um, the storylines that were all started way back in Amazing uh, Fantasy or Tales or whatever number. Amazing Adventures number 11. Yeah. Well, so really, Incredible Hulk number 150, if you include the Havoc and Dana, Lorna Dane stuff. Good point. Good point. And I think that's kind of cool that I just wonder, like, is whoever's editing at the time, is Roy Thomas kind of keeping track and, and looking at various books and being like, yo, yo, Steve, Steve Engelson. <laughs> I need you to finish up this story. Or or was this basically Steve Engelhart's like like opus like I'm going this it's going to take 4 years and I'm going to go through all of these various comic books and I'm going to like tell this this story. And it's it's the also the story that I was born to tell. <laughs> the one of the secret empire led by presumably the president. 
but also, I mean, there's no like, you know, the Secret Empire Part One of Twelve, a new Marvel cross continuity. Well, that, that was that's not something that had happened yet. Yeah, I like that. Mm. I mean, yeah, the stories are subtle enough. Like most of the stories that we read stood on their own, but had this little story behind it that weaved in in between everything. I like that. Oh, beautiful for spacious skies, for amber waves of grain. But on the other hand, it's kind of annoying if you're a collector and like all you read is Hulk or X-Men or Avengers and you're like, what, what the hell happened with that Agent 99 stuff? Like, yeah, <laughs> where did that go? Because nowhere in here is like, see the next issue. Here it goes. But anyways, <laughs> thank God for the Internet is all I got to say. Yep, exactly. Moving on to a very boring, a very boring story. Marvel. Team. Oh yes, but it it is boring, but it can it it contains the next major kind of story arc. The next saga, if you will. Yeah, the next the next saga, the next arc, the, the events that will bleed into what will become oh, the yeah, greatest yeah, 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 yeah. X Men comic of all time. I don't know what I'm talking about. I forgot about that. Uh, and it is Marvel Team-Up number 23 featuring Human Torch and the Iceman, the ultimate showdown, the two elements fighting against each other. Fire versus ice in the battle of the century. This one's titled, uh, the, uh, oh wait, this one's from July 1974, and it is titled The Night of the Frozen Inferno. And it is written by Len Wein, or Len Wine, I've never known how to pronounce that, and arted by Gil Kane. Oh! <gasps> Do you think Glennis Wine is related to Len Wine? Sure. Glennis being the colorist of this particular could issue. be could be wife could be daughter could be a dude. <laughs> <laughs> okay, lovers. Honestly, uh, is Len Wine? Len could be a woman too, for all I know. Len's a dude. I read the uh, a book by him. Well, actually, it's a it's the... that doesn't make him a dude. <laughs> well, I think. I guess you're right. I guess he doesn't actually ever come out and say, I am a man, <laughs> and I wrote comic books. We could look it up. Uh, yeah, I guess we could. We'll save that for later. Anyways, not much to say about this. The Torch is finishing a mission with Spider-Man and heads back to the Baxter building and is bored. So he decides to go back out. This, this apparently continues from giant size, or continues into giant size, Spider-Man number one. Uh, at any rate, Spider-Man's got this gigantic... Fantastic Four built spaceship and he rockets off to go do Spider-Man things. Mm -hmm. At which point the human torch takes over the mag and he's bored. So he goes out to where Spider-Man told him that there was some sort of weird robbery slash thing with an ice patch yeah. involved. And uh, the human torch sees the ice patch. It's still there, even though the temperature today is well above 60 degrees. I mean, I've heard of cold spots, but this is ridiculous. And he gets batted in the back with a ice phallus or something. I don't know. <laughs> Let me ask you this. Does uh, human torch, does he have to say flame on? I don't know. <laughs> it's a great question. <laughs> okay. So, so he goes off and uh, it's... I don't know why Iceman attacked him, but it was Iceman because we see him. No, 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 no. We oh, assume right, that right. it's Iceman. We but... assume it's Iceman, but it could but, be anybody. Uh, but but it could be anybody. 
A few blocks away, we do see Iceman on his amazing supportless ice slides <laughs> sliding around town. And uh, Human Torch fires at the shield, or I'm sorry, the slide knocking Iceman down. Iceman is unable to form a new ice bridge, so he forms an ice slide and slides down it. And then they begin to argue, why'd you smash my ice bridge? Don't play innocent with me, Frosty. An hour ago, you tried to rob a jewelry store. And a minute ago, you tried to clobber me. Again, no, oh, yeah. nobody's using any critical thinking or asking any questions like, Iceman, there was an ice patch outside of a jewelry store. Now, well, I, I mean, Iceman, to be fair, he's like, I did what? <laughs> I know this is going to sound like a pretty hackneyed line, but I don't have the faintest idea what you're talking about. I, but I think that, you know, uh, a human torch comes off a little heavy handed. I mean, here he is, an internationally known superhero. I mean, he just he's just not thinking. He's just not asking questions. He's just attacking. And then he explains that uh, Spider-Man told him about his discovering this, uh, that there was a robber at Haversham's jewelry store, and then he slipped on an ice patch, and that's what Torch was investigating. And Iceman again says, look, I had nothing to do with any of that. <laughs> I wish I could believe you, Ice Cube, but the evidence is against you. So, I mean, to be fair, they're they're talking this through, at least for a page or two. On page 10, uh, Human Torch is making a fire lasso while Iceman is making ice scissors to cut through the fire lasso, <laughs> which is so stupid. And what's not awesome about that? <laughs> <laughs> Everything is not awesome about that. Uh, Human Torch flies around. Iceman throws ice balls at him. Human Torch yeah, makes they a basically... fire. There's some fighting happens. They basically do everything. Iceman throws a ice storm somehow over... How does he do that? An instant cold wave to convince the hot air above me and resulting cloud burst puts out your little bonfire. It makes sense. I mean, well, it would make sense, I think, if it, if it was really hot out and he could make like a concentrated ball of cold in the air, not like actually ice, then he could no, potentially. Guess. But I mean, we've already established it's only 60 degrees out. So this is a weird, it's just a weird power, though, because it's not really coming out of his hands. I don't know. It sort of is, but whatever. They're, they're, they continue to fight when all of a sudden a, a limousine pulls up beside them. Scree! And out pop the rest of the X-Men! The uh, uncanny X-Men. They're all in their old uniforms. I guess at this point they've just decided to be in their old uniforms. It's the thing to do. Sure. Um... Iceman Torch, stop the senseless battle immediately. They didn't hear a word you said, Cyclops. So I noticed, Angel, but they must be stopped somehow. And so I think I know fighting. how, Marvel Girl says. <laughs> <laughs> they continue fighting, and... Uh, Cyclops shoots both of them. Yeah. He shoots through then, both of them. but yeah. And then Marvel Girl catches them. And they bring them down. Um, they have We've been a... looking for you, Iceman, all over town. Well, you found me. What do you want? We got important business. If you hadn't rushed off in such a huff a half hour ago, you'd have heard the professor explain the top secret mission he has for us. A mission that requires you. A half hour ago? But if you were with them, and, and I was with her, and they were with you, then you couldn't have been there. That's what I've been trying to tell you, Torchy. 
I'm innocent. And until I find the creep who framed me, I'm not going on any secret missions. What time are you guys leaving? By dawn. Okay. Keep my place warm. I'll try to be there. Don't just try, Iceman. Just do it. It's more important than you could possibly imagine. So the X-Men have a very secret mission planned for them. Hmm. Wow. Mm. Okay, so uh, the fight is settled between Iceman and uh, Human Torch, and they're going to go find the bad guy that framed Iceman, or whatever. And so they do. They go off. Which they, go. they do, and it. it uh, th- this is the part of the this like this is where the story all falls apart for me. Who the guy who is robbing Haversham's is still there. <laughs> <laughs> all this time that they've been fighting and talking about Not only missions. that, but he was there when Spider-Man was there. <laughs> so, like, Spider-Man went and did his thing, went and talked to the Torch. The Torch went back to the FF mansion, hung out for a little while, decided to go investigate, then went to, then was hit by him in the back of the head by an ice thing, then ran after Iceman. All this, and this guy's just hanging out. He's been there for, like, four hours. <laughs> I don't know. I can't find what I'm trying to steal. <laughs> uh, and it's now that the uh, Iceman and Human Torch break in or, or fly into the uh, the jewelry store that the this guy in this crazy suit is like, I better leave. So out he goes. And uh, I don't know what. And, and they fight him. <laughs> he, I guess... Remember, the, remember uh, on page 22 in the panel where the guy uh, kicks the torch? Mm-hmm. You you remember uh, your character Zippo? Yeah, 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 yeah. He kind of reminds me of Zippo. He's got the kind of the Zippo face thing going on there. But um, I don't know what this guy is doing. But I guess his suit is like flame retardant or something. Yeah, he's his he 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 has a special power of heat and ice, and they kind of. Uh, circulate throughout his body so sometimes one power is occurring and sometimes the other power is occurring and uh, apparently it's a sickness and he was trying to find a cure and that's what he was stealing his, and, his, um, his name is Equinox the thermodynamic man so they battle for a little while and the police show up and they continue battling and they start jumping on cars and stuff and it's a real it's a real heck of a bruiser and um, it's a humdinger of a fight. We even get a full page splash of all three of them rolling around there. Yeah, it's it's serious business. And then uh, on the very last page, uh, Human Torch and Iceman happen to shoot Equinox at the same time, which. But, um, but on opposite sides of his body. So Iceman hits the fire side and Torch hits the ice side. Wow, what a what a quinky dink. <laughs> <laughs> at the exact same time. Caught me at the precise instant of change. Halted my internal reactions. The energies trapped me within me are quickly building to critical mass. Baroom! And he explodes. Like, yeah, he literally disintegrates himself. But we get a panel of the subways and a face of Equinox, uh, you know, in silhouette. There's a sewer right under the spot where Noxie... See, they're already him, starting to call him something. <laughs> Where Noxie went boom, a sewer with enough current, str- with with current strong enough to sweep a man to safety. So he's probably still alive. Yeah. And there you go. That is the uh, beginning of the secret mission tale. Yeah. 
Next issue, Moondog is another name for murder. Oh, I just wanted to say that. Moondog. But we're not going to read about Moondog, no siree. We're going to read about uh, a comic book we talked about on our very first issue here, The Defenders. This is The Defenders number 15, the 1974, September 1974 issue. This one's titled Panic Beneath the Earth, and it is also by Len Wein. <gasps> Len Wein. Well, oh. never know how to pronounce. Let's just go with Len Wein. And Sal Basima and Claus Johnson did the art. We're back to Sal Basima with a slightly different art, art. Art. He looks different inked by this guy. And the cover of this, you've got the Defenders, who are Doctor Strange, some flying guy whom I don't know. That is... Um, if you remember a couple issues back, we got a letter talking about Mark Gruenwald, the guy who had his ashes yes. uh, put inside the, the graphic novels of the Squadron Supreme. Yeah. Well, this is one of the members of the Squadron Supreme, but not from that book, an alternate universe right. version of them. And uh, we've also got the Hulk, and the villains that they are fighting are Magneto, Eunice, and the Blob. So as we open up the book, uh, the Defenders are, I don't know, they're in Doctor Strange's house looking at crazy stuff. Crazy Doctor Strangey stuff. All of a sudden, the amulet of Doctor Strange uh, erupts into a light beam and displays a wheelchaired man. Whoa. Why it's Professor X. Uh, apparently... He ha would normally use the X-Men for such matters as he would like to talk about, but they are on a secret mission from which even he cannot summon them back. So the X-Men have been sent off on some secret mission. Mm -hmm. Hmm. Interesting. I wonder if that story will be resolved. Eh, probably not. Hmm. Who knows? Uh, but anyways, Professor has uh, has something that he needs some help from, and he's chosen the Defenders. And it's revealed here that that guy's name is Nighthawk. Okay. And uh, it's it's uh, I don't who's this Thor girl? I don't know Thorella. <laughs> <laughs> I will get to her name at some point. I don't remember what her name is, but she's like a Thor's sister, girlfriend, or daughter, or something like that, right? <laughs> All three. <laughs> Who cares? Hello, my sister, girlfriend, daughter. I want to have sex with you, but for some reason it feels wrong. <laughs> uh, so the Defenders, they I don't really know what the deal is with the Defenders. Uh, the deal is they're just like four guys who like kind of are from the outskirts of the Marvel Universe who don't really belong on another team who mm. are kind of stuck together. So it was originally Silver Surfer, Hulk... Doctor Strange and Namor, but the you know the the lineup changes a little bit here sure. and there. Spoilers: uh, three of the X Men at some point down the line will join the Defenders. These Defenders, they don't need much. Um, they don't need much convincing. They're all set for a mission, uh, but they do need one last person, and that's the Hulk. And Hulk likes these people, so he's like, "Sure, let's do it. Come on." Friends! <laughs> and they meet up with the professor who is sitting at the outskirts of a cave. and He's just been here for like hours. <laughs> <laughs> mentally talking with whomever he can get uh, a hold of. Yeah. I've chosen the Defenders because, well, nobody else was available. <laughs> uh, I owe Reed Richards money, so I'm, I'm kind of avoiding him. <laughs> 
So they enter into the cave, and what should attack them but a cyclopean giant monster? Did uh, you notice that nobody introduced like one another to each other? No. Yeah, they're like, hello, let's go. Like, hi, hi, Dr. Strange. Hi, Professor. Uh, these are my friends. <laughs> <laughs> Have we even established that the professor knows Dr. Strange? I mean, I guess we can assume uh, so, because like no, every... Not really. It seems like every smart person knows the professor or Reed Richards or whoever needs to know somebody to get a plot moving forward. Well, yeah, I, all the secret people are in are, like every isn't isn't aren't all the smart people in some sort of secret cabal? <laughs> Probably the <laughs> Illuminati of the Marvel universe. Right. Exactly. So, anyways, this giant orange monster who's drooling all over the place—he comes out and. Hulk wants to smash, but he's rebuffed by this crazy monster. How can that be? Oh, no. And then, girl there, is this Sif? Maybe it's Sif. It could be. I don't know. I'm sure we'll get her name at some point. She she attacks uh, the creature, but is grabbed, and Nighthawk goes after the creature, but he's grabbed. Doctor Strange blasts the creature, and then the professor's like, everybody, cut it out. Jeez, why did you gibber? Why doesn't anybody listen to me? I waited a whole page to say this. <laughs> it's uh, it. It turns out that it's a uh, an illusion. It is an illusion, and just as they discover that's an illusion, and Professor's going to tell them who created the illusion, they are all stunned by some type of blast, uh, and they all collapse uh, except Doctor Strange, I think. Maybe he does too. He doesn't look like he's collapsed, but it's 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 Magneto and Eunice and Lorelai and Blob and Mastermind. Yeah, and he Magneto captures uh, all of the uh, heroes into some sort of magnetic field that is strong enough to restrain even the rampaging Hulk. He's in stasis. And he starts doing his usual bragging stuff. Oh, I'm about to create this awesome mutant that's going to help me take over the world uh, and conquer all humanity because this is going to be the ultimate mutant this time. I, I think we've tried this plant before. <laughs> but this, like this twice. <laughs> I went to the South Pole and the North Pole and I created a super mutant out of the stuff that I collected from both places. Ooh, <laughs> you guys are in for it now. Well, Dr. Strange, he's all like, well, look, if you're going to destroy the Earth, then you owe us an explanation because I... Yeah, I thought you were captured by the Avengers. <laughs> How did you come to this place to such power? <gasps> well... Well, let me tell you. <laughs> here's here's my story. <laughs> it's ironic, magician. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, apparently, this is kind of cool. Um, no, it's not. It's not cool at all. Well, no. What's cool is that they that the Avengers didn't know what to do with Magneto, so they encased him in a bubble of raw energy and placed that bubble in the center of the Earth. <laughs> well, that's okay. That that I guess is kind of cool. And Magneto was there for months. He says literally for months. I remained thus imprisoned. How did he eat? How, where did he pee? <laughs> <laughs> no food. No water. No bathroom. So they placed him in such a perfect balance that served to nullify his powers completely. And then a comet goes by that 
alters magnetic forces imperceptibly, but is enough for the master of magnetism to shatter the energy globe. And then he flies through the crust of the earth with his amazing magnetic drilling power and uh, appears in a lost cavern where they are now. I got to say, so he says that the lost or until the passing of the comet, Kohutek accidentally shifted. So it seems to me that after he bored himself out of the earth's crust, he must have walked down to the local library, run through some microfiche to figure out which comet had flown by, because how else would he know what it was called? All right. Anyway. Yeah, he, he definitely had to do some research. Well, I must. I, I feel I can detect the presence of a comet manipulating the magnetic spectrum around me, but I must know the name of that comet. Otherwise, it'll have no meaning. This is going to weigh heavily on my mind. <laughs> well, it turns out that the cavern that he bored himself into was the remnants of a civilization that was ancient, uh, but was very advanced. V- uh, machine so alien in concept, in design, that even his mind reeled at the sight of them. But he found you the... you got to think, Magneto's got to be pretty weak after months of no eating. <laughs> He found libraries of books written in a different language. So he learned the language and he read the books and he learned what the materials were. And he decided that he could not hold all of this uh, power to himself. So he went out and recruited his former cohorts, the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants, and brought them back. He says they're the only ones being he, beings I deemed worthy of sharing my secret, but I, I, we know Magneto by this point. He just gets whoever. I even restored lovely Lorelai to my side once more, a mutant I created myself. So is he saying that he went back to the Savage Land to bring her out of the swamp-like state to make Lorelai, or what? Well, she lost her powers at the end of the... Oh, she did? At the end of the X-Men issue. Yeah. Uh, they all lost their powers. So presumably... Magneto's the one that restored their powers. Oh, but they left her behind because the mutates and Lorelei attacked like the Avengers or something. Right. That that happened after Magneto restored all their powers. So Magneto restored their powers, left. Oh, maybe he was like building this. No, because that was all. Don't try to think about it. (laughs) the attack. All right, I'm done with that. Okay, moving on. Magneto should be dead. He was in a bubble for months. (laughs) Yeah. Well, he lived off magnetic minerals that he was able to absorb from the earth's core. Magnetic breadcrumbs. Yeah. Well, anyways, uh, the professor wants to know exactly what's going on and what's in the cell behind him. And apparently it's he's growing a mutant, his ultimate mutant. The ultimate mutant. <laughs> he, he, he is so excited about this that he can barely contain himself. Uh, but that's okay. The professor devises a plan. And his plan is what? It's simple. It's for them to all think about being free. Well, where does it say it's focus on the word free? Um, maybe I made that up. And they all have to concentrate on one single thought, a thought then channeled and focused through the mind of, yeah, they don't really say what the thought is. But I think it's I inferred, guess... the single thought. I mean, there's an emphasis on the word free, so all they have to all do. Right, right. Yeah, okay. Well, anyway. I'm, I'm with you. I gotcha. Okay. 
Curses, Xavier. Curses, Xavier and his cronies have somehow escaped my magnetic prison. And they're not wearing hockey pants. <laughs> and so he orders the Brotherhood to attack. And we get a nice Hulk versus Blob uh, fight. So it's like everything that you've ever wanted to see with the Hulk. The Hulk versus the Juggernaut, the Hulk versus the Blob. It's one of these great sequences where we get like um, all the all the villains are winning for the first couple of pages. And then the heroes all turn the tides with some like fancy footwork. They fight and they're losing and then they're winning. Uh, Hulk manages to defeat the blob by destroying the ground. We haven't seen that before. (laughs) And you'll never see Um, it again. (laughs) Wasn't mastermind insane the last time we saw him? Yeah. He must've been picked up by, you know, like a mental Institute who rehabilitated him or something. I guess that's cured. (laughs) So Dr. Strange beats mastermind by creating several mental illusions of himself and mastermind gets confused and isn't sure which one to cast an illusion on. And then Dr. Strange blasts him with some sort of Agamotto blast. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And don't know why he just didn't do that in the first place. Um, The professor's trying to rebuff Lorelai's song. Can't hold out much longer, but must do something. Wait, Nighthawk's jetpack, my only hope. He reaches over and he turns Night pa- Nighthawk's jetpack on, which burns <laughs> his hand really off. dangerous, but launches Nighthawk into Lorelei. Yeah. So the two of them uh, get out of Lorelei's crazy siren song. And then uh, Sif, who I think it's Sif, she realizes that to defeat Eunice... She has to time it so that when he grabs her, he's letting his force field down a little bit, and therefore she can punch him straight into the Hulk. Hulk punches him. You know. Knocks him out. But you know what? Magneto, he don't care. He's got, he's all smiles, big giant smiles there. It should also be noticed that um, he's changed his outfit. So I think before he had some crazy orange and red thing going on. Now he's back to kind of classic Magneto. Yeah, although in this panel on the last page where he says exact activated the final procedures, it looks like he's not wearing pants with the coloring. <laughs> it does. <laughs> he's about to activate the omnipotent mutant that he has created. And look at this Magneto face, the last Magneto panel. He it's great. <laughs> this gigantic s- smile on his face. Behold the creature who will make the master of the world. It's Alpha, the elf, the ultimate mutant. Oh, man. That's next, exciting. Next Defenders. Defenders number 16, the October 1974 issue. It is, in fact, titled Alpha, the ultimate mutant. Oh. And it's got the same creative team. And Alpha, the... Different ul- anchor. Yeah. M. Esposito. Alpha the Ultimate Mutant is a big, boobish-looking man. He does not he's look smart. He's a lumbering smart. oaf. He is dumb. He's got a but really, he's big. really tiny head, but big, muscly body. He's twice the, twice size, the of size of Hulk. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, well, Doctor Strange just attacks. He don't, he don't care. Yeah, that's not very nice. <laughs> he's even like... 
Can a newborn godling feel pain, Magneto? I don't care. I'm going to blast him. Shoot. Uh, the alpha guy, he's, he's, ooh, ooh, he's trying to talk or something. And uh, it's actually Alpha's not really doing a whole lot of attacking at this point. Well, he's he's a fresh mutant. He doesn't know what's going on. But already he's thrown up an invisible force field so that the Hulk can't reach him. Mm-hmm. Magneto traps, well, destroys the uh, exit out of the cave. Prior to that, we get to see that the uh, that uh, Magneto needs some oral hygiene here because his teeth are yellow. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, they're they're all stuck. Um, and as they're uh, Magneto, I think is trying to goad uh, Alpha into attacking the Defenders and Professor. When we see well, what he, he he basically has Alpha instead of instead of staying and fighting them, he shuts off the entrance and then has Alpha teleport them away. Yeah. And now the heroes are trapped. Okay. And, and so it's been a grueling one, two, three, uh, essentially four pages digging their way out. Uh, Dr. Strange is calling she Thor Val. So she like Valkyrie maybe. Oh, it must be Valkyrie. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So it's Valkyrie everybody, but I'm just going to call her <laughs> she Thor. <laughs> I'm going to call her Shether. <laughs> so I guess uh, Hulk, they thought they trapped Hulk behind. They're all sad. Oh, the Hulk. Bah, bah, bah. But Hulk gets through and Hulk's all like, Hulk smash, rock smash, Hulk. Hulk smash back. Bye, everybody's sad. <laughs> Let go. Hulk bad. Then Professor Charles Xavier grows silent then, uh, as he sends his supremely powerful mind questing across the countryside, a veritable web of probing mental energy that spreads its telepathic tendrils across the length and the breadth of America to focus at last upon the one mind Professor X is seeking. So Professor X just created the Internet. <laughs> sure. Uh, he apparently has the ability to stretch his mind across the world in order to locate one person. What does he need Cerebro for? Exactly. Begs the question. But so he does find Magneto. And so he directs the defenders to New York city. Yep. And, uh, we get this panel of everybody flying away and Hulk is holding professor Xavier's chair. And Dr. Strange is using his amulet to levitate the Hulk who is carrying the professor. It's not the most elegant way to fly, but it works in a pinch. Uh, so we cut to the uh, we cut to New York City, where the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants has a now slightly less dumb-looking Alpha. His lips are a little less protruding. His forehead's getting a little uh, taller. He's he's maybe a little less muscly. We're not quite sure, but he's he's looking less dumb. That's for sure. Yeah, he's still quiet though. He's not saying much. And they're going, what, do they want to go to a bank or something? They want to rob a bank? I don't know. They go into the United Nations. Oh, okay. And uh, Magneto's going to make a speech, which ends in, we want the world and we want it now. Uh, And everyone's like, how are you going to take it? And he's like, Alpha, you're going to take them. Show them your mutant powers. And Alpha basically speaks in broken English. Alpha helps you. And... The the method of helping him is that he rips the UN building out of the ground. Looks like killing at least one guy. 
at least. So, yeah, the U.N. is now floating above New York. Um, so the defenders and the professor fly on up to the U.N. And uh, Mastermind here, he says, uh, Professor X and his accursed friends, Magneto, they're right outside. I can sense it. Wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> Did Mastermind get... Mastermind has some special powers. Uh-huh. All right. <clears throat> Wasn't aware of those, but okay. Alpha, destroy them, he says. and uh, Destroy oh. them? Why? And uh, he, he's starting to look more, more and more humanoid, mm-hmm. this Alpha is. He's questioning Magneto, but he's still obedient. He creates a series of rock men to attack the uh, defenders and the professor. And, it's uh, true. They fight. But they're easily, they easily best the rock men. Mm-hmm. And run into the UN building. Obliterate them, Alpha, once and for all, and do not fail me. And at this point, Alpha says, no, Magneto, I will not take another life. Why should I? Because because I have ordered you to. Because Xavier and the others are evil men. Because I'll return you to the Black Void, which spawned you if you refuse. Do I make myself quite clear, Alpha? Yes, Magneto, quite clear. And And, uh, Hulk is running at Alpha, and Alpha stops Hulk by turning him into stone. And then he stops Nighthawk by spinning him into oblivion. But this whole. Professor X notices Alpha's head different somehow, cranium grown larger. Basically, each panel, almost, not everyone, but almost each panel features a slightly slimmer and a much larger headed Alpha as we proceed. Yeah. Um,. Valkyrie's he turns Valkyrie's legs to putty oh that sucks I know Uh, and then there's another cranium growth here he kind of looks like one of those uh, aliens from uh, the original Star Trek series with the Mm. big heads I can't remember what they were called but uh, he's uh, you know please surrender yourselves I have no wish to do you any harm so he's getting a little bit more articulate he's reasoning things out and then but Professor kind of realizes what is going on and says, Alpha, you oppose us because Magneto has told you we are evil. Yet justice can seem evil when described by someone evil. I tell you, Magneto is, Magneto is the menace here and dare him to deny it. Your argument intrigues me, human. And yet. Magneto says, no, don't listen to him. He's lying. I swear to you. And then uh, Alpha decides, well... Magneto really can't defend himself. Well, it's uh, Doctor Strange is like, listen to him, Alpha. You hear the fear in his voice? One makes you wonder why he protests. And that's when, uh, yeah, Alpha's like, there's duplicity about I perceive about sincerity in your words, human. There is indeed duplicity abounding here. It is time for me to determine precisely where that duplicity lies. And then we get this full page panel of the alpha have carrying um this uh, system of, of weights what do you call those things it's like you know like the scales of justice basically yeah it's like the scales of justice and totally. on one side are the heroes and one side are the villains and above um alpha is the head of alpha and it's taking a dump <laughs> it is definitely pinching one out 
And uh, as we move on to the next page, Alpha's head just continues to get larger and larger, and it begs the question, at one point, is he going to be just a giant head <laughs> with nothing <laughs> That's else? That's when he becomes Modoc. <laughs> That's right. Uh, but he judges Magneto to have been a liar and to be evil. And, uh, yeah. And then we get a, another... See, the problem with these pictures of Magneto is that his helmet is gigantic. <laughs> yeah. So uh, last issue, we had the giant smiley face, and now we have a giant angry face. <laughs> uh, and You and your companions are little more than a band of selfish children, arrogant, untrustworthy, determined to take what you desire rather than earn it. And like children, you must be made to learn from such mistakes. So he so. casts some power on them. We don't know what yet. Uh, and they have a little dialogue with the Defenders and Alpha. Alpha kind of puts everything back to rest. He lowers the uh, United Nations. Uh, he he er, um, Everything is as it was. Uh, and the memory of these past few hours has been erased from the minds of the men that were out there. So presumably he saved the lives of those that he killed. Mm-hmm. And, and apparently he turned Val- Valkyrie's legs into... Uh, not buddy. <laughs> he basically restored everybody to their normal selves, and he's basically turned into a very powerful entity, much like you know an eternity or uh, I don't know. What if it turned out he was the stranger? Could be well, Magneto creates the stranger who goes back in time to <laughs> capture Magneto. That could be. Whoa. I'm I'm going with this, that because Alpha. He says that uh, until I have become f- far more than uh, and I have become far more than your fellow Homo sapiens could begin to comprehend. There's no longer any place for me among this pale green planet. Perhaps there never was. Thus, I must seek my destiny elsewhere. My the universe is vast, and I have more than enough time. So off he goes, potentially back in time. Yeah. And so we get a little final panel of what. They or what Alpha did to the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. <laughs> Magneto looks terrible. He's that helmet, it's just huge. <laughs> well, he turned all of them into babies. Yeah, how about that? So, I am just the spoilers. We will not find out in this little bit of the X-Men, in this cycle of 1970 to 1975, we do not find out what happens, how they become not babies. So I'm just very curious how they uh, reverse all this. Yeah, there's a lot of reversing that needs to be done. (laughs) We leave with Magneto, Lorelai, Eunice, and uh, Mastermind and Blob are all babies. Screaming, crying. Blob is a little fat baby. So I'm curious, like, do the defenders, like, pick these kids up and take them over to the orphanage and be like, uh, found these babies. <laughs> Just leave them there. You want some babies? And that does it. So the X-Men are out on some secret mission. Uh, the evil mutants are all babies. Um, Mimic's dead. Man, everything's just kind of, like, wrapped up into a weird little package. Yep. And uh, I don't know, Adam, we're at the two-hour mark here. I guess there's going to be a part four. <laughs> so there you go, folks. That that basically covers everything from issue 66 to giant size number one, except for one minor, potentially large detail, and that is one character that does actually get introduced between now and giant size number one, and that character is, of course, who? 
Cyclops. Um, <laughs> no, of course it's Wolverine. So join us next week for the introduction to probably the most popular Marvel creation ever. And and uh, enjoy my constant mispronunciation of the word snicket. <laughs> I'll have to figure out a clever way to pronounce it. <laughs> well, originally we had envisioned this being one episode, and we were we were we were woefully wrong on that. But it's been it's been a fun ride, hasn't it, Adam? Yeah, I've 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 enjoyed these quite a bit. I have too, and and the great thing is, we'll never have to read them again. <laughs> so hopefully uh nobody was disappointed that we didn't make it through i know you're all anxious for giant size x-men one but stay fast we will get there yes yes we will get there <laughs> so until next time folks the danger room is closed he's pounded down loaded up and trucking are we gonna do what they say can't be done We've got a long way to go and a short time to get there. I'm eastbound just like no bandit run. Keep your foot hard on the pedal. Some devil mind them brakes. Let it all hang out cause we gotta run to make. The boys are thirsty in Atlanta and there's beer in Texarkana. And we'll bring it back no matter what it takes. Eastbound and down, loaded up and trucking. Are we gonna do what they say can't be done? We've got a long way to go and a short time to get there. I'm 